0: Welcome to Transportation Radio. Today we have the second in our series, Profiling State DOTs, and I'm happy to be joined by Brian Ness. He's the director of the Idaho Transportation Department. He's been their director since 2010. Welcome, Brian, to Transportation Radio.
1: Ah, Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Well, one of the things we like to do, the first thing, is because each state department of transportation is a little bit different, is to begin with an overview of ITD. Tell me a bit about ITD and what some of its responsibilities are, if you would.
1: The Idaho Transportation Department is responsible for all modes of transportation. Uh, We have uh, 12,300 lane miles of roads, nearly 2,000 bridges. One thing that may be unique to Idaho is we have 30 backcountry airstrips that uh, people use to get into the back wilderness of Idaho. Our department is almost 1,600 employees, and we actually even though we're part of the executive branch of government, we actually report to the Idaho Transportation Board, and I, as director, am appointed by the board as opposed to being appointed by the uh, governor, so that makes us a little bit unique uh, from other states in that aspect, too.
0: Now, talking about that board, how are transportation decisions made in Idaho? What role does the board play versus the department and yourself?
1: We have a seven-person Idaho Transportation Department board Six of those represent a district, which are in alignment with our six districts at uh, ITD. And then the seventh person is a uh, chairman of the board. And the board is responsible for overall giving direction of where the department goes. And then I, as the uh, director or the CEO, run the day-to-day operations. The board would be responsible for things like uh, approving our budget or approving the uh, projects that the uh, department selects to uh, move forward with.
0: One of the things that is notable uh, about your leadership is last year at the ITD Leadership Summit, you talked about nine steps. Tell me what nine steps is and a little bit more about the details of what it involves.
1: When I became director seven years ago, I knew that we needed to change the culture of the organization. And so we went about doing that and Really, over the years, in in my years in government, I put together what I thought was a a philosophy of how government should run and that we should serve the citizens, not serve themselves. And the best decisions are made as close as possible to where the work's being done and the operations are taking place. So keeping that in mind and keeping in mind what our mission is, is to provide uh, safety, mobility, and economic opportunity For the users of the transportation system, I set out with a nine-step process to change the culture, and those nine steps are divided into three areas of three steps each. The first three steps are setting the direction for the organization. The next three are about improving the organization, and then the last three steps involve empowering the employees. And how has that been implemented
0: as far as uh, ITD? Uh, It was presented last year for the first time. Uh, we're less than a year into uh, you announcing that. So tell me a little bit about what's been going on as far as the
1: implementation. From an implementation standpoint, um, I think what really speaks for itself are the results. That uh, And actually, even though we formally uh, talked about it with our staff uh, at the last leadership summit, we've really been on this journey for about uh, six or seven years now. And during that six or seven years, we've managed to eliminate every other layer of supervision. Our staff is eight and a half percent less than what it was seven years ago, yet with less staff and less layers, every single one of our performance indicators have shown improvement. Our employees are actually more satisfied and secure in their jobs, and by placing decision-making as close as possible to where the work's being done, some of the innovations that have come out of this are amazing. We've had over 570 innovations in the last year, saving $2.2 million in, in costs and $75,000.
0: Now, speaking of innovation, you were a finalist for the Innovative Company of the Year Award last year by the Idaho Technology Council. You're the first state agency to be a finalist. Tell me a bit more about that innovation program that ITD is involved with.
1: Our department submitted for the Innovative Company of the Year, And we received a phone call that said, well, you're a government agency. You can't really compete. This is for the private sector. And so we told them, here's some of the things we're doing that involve innovation. And they said, well, maybe you can go ahead and submit your application. Then a few months later, we received a phone call that we were in the final three in the entire state of Idaho. We were invited to the banquet. So we went to the banquet, and that night ITD is uh, up on stage with the other two companies, and they announced the uh, winner. Unfortunately, we didn't win, but as I'm looking out at the audience, there's 600 people out there that were thinking, why aren't we up there? So I think we showed that a public agency can be just as innovative as the private sector, and we can compete with the private sector in the types of things we do to innovate and do things better. But getting back to how that specifically is done at ITD, it goes back to my core philosophy of the best decisions are made as close as possible to where the work is being done, the operations are taking place. So we've allowed our employees to look at different ways to do their job. And we've empowered them to say, how can we do our job better? How can we do things differently? So we are constantly having our employees come forward with new ideas, different ways of doing things, and then we try and share those throughout the department. So if one district comes up with innovation on how to do snow removal, for example, which we've been very successful on, by the way, then we want to make sure we get that out to the rest of the agency.
0: Speaking of snow, we're in the heart of winter as we're recording this
1: conversation.
0: One of the things that you've implemented is something called Swarm the
1: Storm. What is Swarm the Storm? That is an employee-driven innovation, and again, we had these outcomes-based performance measures, and our snowplow drivers looked at that and said, we can do better than having roads clear of ice and snow 28% of the time during the storm. So what we are going to do as the employees is we're going to look at how we can do that better, and one of the things that they really zeroed in on is that typically what we've done is during winter months we set up shifts. So we had 24-hour coverage, and you had coverage on weekends. But the employees are saying, when you have shifts for your employees, basically about a third of the time during the winter you're fighting the storms, but the other time you're doing other things. And by having our employees spread out over shifts, we don't have all our equipment out on the road at the same time during a storm. So they decided they were going to meet with the weather service twice a week on Mondays and Thursdays, And based on what the weather forecast was, if the Weather Service forecast that the storm was going to hit on the weekend, the employees then decided as a group, then we'll take Tuesday and Wednesday as our weekend and then come in at the end of the week so we're there when the storm hits. If the storm's going to hit at midnight, there's no point coming in at 8 in the morning. We'll shift our schedule so we can come in right before the storm. And then during the height of the storm, every one of our employees are out on the road fighting that storm. So, I was a little bit concerned that um, I know that for my own personal self that my weekends are sacred to me. So I went and talked to some of the employees out in in the uh, garages, and I said, how do you feel about that? You come in on Monday, and all of a sudden, instead of looking forward to the next weekend, you're going home and taking two days off and then coming in and working during your weekend. And it was interesting what their response was. They said, Director, if you had told us that we had to do this, we'd find a way to not make it work. But we know this is the right thing to do, and it's our idea, and we're the one implementing it. And if Joe, for example, has a son that plays basketball, and he can't be there on Friday nights, we understand that. We can cover for Joe, because maybe Joe will cover for us, and we have something going on. So we just work as a group to figure out how we get everybody there and get as many people there during the storm, and not being told that this is what we have to do is what really made this thing work. So I thought that was a real credit to our employees, because I think that is a real sacrifice when you're continually jumping and jerking your schedule around.
0: Now, Idaho is a largely rural state. It covers, though, quite a bit of territory. What are some of the challenges with running a transportation department in a rural western state?
1: I think probably the biggest challenge is, We have a massive land area, but only about a million and a half people in the entire state. And I think that uh, what that brings is you have vast areas of of undeveloped land, but you still need to get people from one point to the other. And we have a lot of uh, agriculture um, in Idaho, particularly in the dairy industry, and you may have heard of Idaho potatoes. And if someone, for example, in where you are at in New Jersey wants to um, have a uh, Idaho potato, we have to have a way to get that out of Idaho and into other parts of the country. So we're an important connection economically for all the other states around the country. But again, with only a million and a half people, and most of those are, um, about a third of that population is concentrated in one small area in southwest Idaho. So, again, it leaves a lot of open land, a lot of open spaces, but then probably 60% of our our land or more is public land. So where other states, all that land is not necessarily public. It's private property where people can develop and you can generate uh, taxes and, and user fees and, and have some type of base. We can't develop those lands. So that land sits idle. We have no way of generating revenue that can support the transportation system off those lands.
0: Now, speaking of financing, as you look at the headlines around the country, gas taxes, other forms of financing are definitely an issue in many states around the country. What's the financial situation as far as gaining revenue for ITD?
1: We are very fortunate. In uh, 2015, our legislature uh, stepped up, and uh, one of the things that they, they did was they raised our gas tax seven cents and that provided some much-needed infusion of money um, because we were to the point where we needed an additional $262 million a year or more just to keep the existing infrastructure in the condition that it was in at that point in time. They also pretty much doubled our registration fees, depending on what kind of car you have. But but in essence, it was a doubling of the registration fees. But then they did something that was unique. There's always been this... um, going back and forth of should we use general fund money for transportation. And there's one group of legislators that would say that you know, general fund money is for agencies such as corrections or for education, and those generally have general fund money because transportation has their own dedicated funds. But then there's another group that would say that, you know, with transportation, revenues there's no hedge for inflation it's a flat gas tax in idaho it's a flat registration fee so as the economy grows the general fund monies grow they have that hedge for inflation you have more sales you generate more sales tax people's income goes up you have more income tax but from a transportation standpoint they don't have that built-in hedge for inflation And so if the economy grows, transportation is a key component to that, so general fund money should share in those transportation improvements that are needed as a result of a growing economy. So they came up with a compromise that I thought was pretty good. They said that what they would do is they would keep the general fund agencies whole. They would allow them to uh, have an inflation adjustment of 3% or whatever was needed if it was justified. Then any money that came in over and above that, that resulted in um, excess revenue being generated because of growth in the economy. Half of that would go into a rainy day fund. The other half would go into a transportation fund. That was the compromise that was reached. There was a two-year sunset on that. So this session, they'll be taking that up again, whether that would continue or not. The first year, we received nearly $60 million in additional money. Last year, is a little bit less. There was some uh, firefighting issues where they had to take some money out of the general fund to uh, battle the wildfires in the summertime. But uh, we'll have about $11 million this year in that uh, general fund revenue. And um, this upcoming uh, surplus looks like it's going to be pretty significant. But again, that's sunsetted, so they'd have to uh, reappropriate that money for transportation.
0: One of the things I like to talk about in these interviews is a bit about communications. There are two different aspects that I like to touch on. The first is ITS, Intelligent Transportation Systems. What's going on in Idaho as far as ITS?
1: Well, one of the things that we have a pretty uh, robust uh, 511 system, what people look to the most is the cameras that are out there, particularly during the winter, to see can we get through this mountain pass and and that type of thing. And That's probably the uh, key thing is our our webcams. But our communication, we're really expanding that to get more into the social media. Obviously, our website provides some different things, but Facebook and Twitter, and we're we're continuing to try and get more real-time road closures. This morning we just had to close uh, Interstate 84 west of Boise due to some deterioration of the road as uh, the freezing and thawing goes on, and we have to move in pretty quickly. So, you know, those are the kind of things that we want to get out on social media in real time.
0: One last thing I want to talk about is a bit about your background. How did you become involved with transportation? Tell me a little bit about your story, if you would, please.
1: Well, that's an interesting story. My dad was a, a city engineer and then uh, worked for a state Department of Transportation, but probably my first experience is when I was quite young, maybe uh, five or six years old, and I would go out with my dad after dinner and he'd go out and look at the paving jobs. And so I'd get out there and tromp around on the construction zones, and uh, then the workers like seeing the kid out there so they would put him on a piece of equipment and let him ride with them and things like that life was a little bit easier back then they didn't have all the uh, OSHA rules and regulations things like that but uh, it probably was in my blood at a very early age so when I went to college I got a degree in civil engineering and went to work for a department of transportation and that was with the Michigan Department of Transportation Probably touched every single area that you could possibly think of. I was in maintenance, I was in research, I was in structures, I was in uh, bridge fabrication, materials testing, project development. So covered the whole gamut. Worked my way up through Michigan, worked there for 30 years. Was, uh, they called him the um, region engineer, similar to district engineers in, in other states for about half of the uh, lower peninsula of Michigan. Again, but i was not quite 30 years into my career, and uh, Idaho uh, came knocking at my door, asked me if I'd be interested in being their director. At first thought, I was thinking, wow, I'm that close to retirement in Michigan and to move 2,000 miles across the country. But then I thought about this is the opportunity I've always looked for to lead an agency and implement some of the things that I picked up over my uh, 30 years in my career. And I've been here for seven years. I'm starting my eighth legislative session and enjoying every minute of it 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 was a really good move and i think we're doing some really great things at the uh, idaho transportation department and i'm very proud to be the director and uh, we have a great group of uh, employees you know when you put that decision making down at their level and there's a lot of trust involved with that those employees have to trust that you're not going to throw them under the bus if they make a decision that maybe doesn't go so well And I have to trust them to make the right decision. But we have that. We're doing some great things. And I think our results speak for themselves.
0: Well, you've been listening to Transportation Radio. My guest today has been Brian Ness. He's the director of the Idaho Transportation Department. Brian, thank you so much for
1: your time. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed having the opportunity to talk about the good things going on here in Idaho.